And please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Actually, we're looking at exactly the scriptures that we looked at last time. Acts chapter 20. If you don't have a Bible, just lift up your hand. We'll get one over to you right now. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can keep that, take it home, read it. Acts chapter 20. And we're going to start in the middle of the chapter at verse 17. Read on down through verse 38. Holy Spirit says, through Luke, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ." And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. Let's pray. Father God, remind us that what we have just heard is the word of Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you would feed us with your word, for man shall not live by bread alone. Let us be nourished, let us be satisfied, and let us believe. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Deemer, and thank you, um, worship team, for leading us in worship this morning, and thank you for the songs that you selected, and, um, and I hope that, you know, as we sing these songs, you think um, heavily upon the words that we're singing, and um, these are gospel words, and that's why those songs were chosen, and um, I appreciate the work you guys did and the, the ministry you brought to us this morning. Um, I titled today's message as we continue in this section of Scripture, which I know you're wondering, are we ever going to get out of Acts 20, verses 17 through 38? Because we've been there, this is the third week now, and let me just give, you know, let you know that we will be there one more week, by the way. But uh, the title of today's message is Paul's Call to Gospel Shepherding. We've looked at, at Paul's example, and now we're going to look at Paul's call or charge he gives to the Ephesian elders. Now, as I thought about this passage, a very current event kept coming to my mind. And it was this, that you guys are all familiar with. And we'll put the picture up there. Um, guys, the clicker's not working, so there we go. Put the picture up there of the, uh, the ship that over there, and I don't know where it was, off the coast of Italy, I believe, that, uh, that recently sank. The Costa Concordia, I think is the name of the, the cruise vessel that's been on the news that, that sank and and unfortunately killed uh, a dozen or so people in the process, maybe more by now. I don't know what the latest numbers are. But um, one of the things that's come out in that investigation, no, no, go back, leave it on the previous slide there, bud. Um, one of the things that has come out in the process of, of the examination of this whole, uh, or investigation of this whole ordeal, was that the captain was extremely negligent. And he, you probably already know that he is in jail now, being charged with manslaughter and other um, uh, crimes. But uh, he was extremely negligent. The word is that he wasn't even at the helm when it struck the reef that night. He was uh, having dinner with some mysterious lady who they haven't even found yet, uh, who wasn't even supposed to be on the ship. And he was extremely negligent. He wasn't being watchful. He wasn't doing the task that he was given to do uh, for the... For, from the company that he was working for, but also for all those passengers aboard. I think there was 4,000 people or so on board who were trusting him to be a watchful, vigilant um, guide or, or leader for that ship, and he failed. And that's why it's caused many people to uh, be reminded of the Titanic. Of course, we know the Titanic disaster uh, over 100 years ago, and or 100 or so years ago. I'm not sure exactly how long ago it was, but... Um, similarly, I remember uh, doing a video once and studying um, for this video. It was actually a video about the trial that was conducted after the Titanic had sank. There was actually a trial in the U.S. Senate where they were trying to bring charges against uh, the Red Star Line that ran the Titanic and, and some of the crew members, even though um, uh, most of the crew died with, the, with the, the sinking of the ship. But one thing that was, that was clear is that the captain was negligent in many ways, and so was his first mate. Who was in the who was on the on the deck the night that it crashed and the guy in the in the crow's nest who spotted the uh, the iceberg coming straight at the Titanic or the Titanic going straight at the iceberg it wasn't the iceberg's fault uh, it was sitting there and he calls out that there was an iceberg and the decision was made to to veer to the left I don't know if that's starboard or whatever I don't know these nautical terms but he, to veer one direction and that was a huge mistake it was a huge mistake. Because if they'd have hit it straight on, they would have survived because it was built to withstand a direct hit with an iceberg. But they made the decision to turn. And not only that, the watchman that night had lost his 
um, his binoculars. Matter of fact, it turns out they never even were on the ship. They weren't on the ship that night. They got left on, at, at shore in, in England. And so there was a, lots of things that contributed to the sinking of the Titanic. But overall, it was negligence. It was the failure of the captain and the first mate and the rest of the crew to take their job as seriously as they needed to take it. And as tragic as that was, and as serious as the job is for a cruise ship captain, the, the text we're looking at today talks about a pastor or an elder, overseer, and his job to be alert, to be watchful, to be mindful, and to make sure he's steering the flock of God in the right direction. And so we get to this text today. We're in the second part, really, of this passage of Scripture here where uh, Paul first gives them his example of himself. The example of himself, he wants them to follow this example. And then in verse 28, which is what we're going to focus on today, verses 28 through 32, he gives the elders a charge to keep. He, he gives them a call. This is what he wants them to do. Now the context here, uh, just as way of reminder, is um, that Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's finishing up the third missionary journey. He wants to get back to Jerusalem in time for Pentecost, so he stops off in Eph- or just off the, off, just outside of Ephesus and calls the elders to come to himself so he can give them one last word. He's convinced that this is the last time he's going to see these men because the Holy Spirit has been giving him testimony that once he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to face persecution. So he calls these elders to himself. He gives them this, really a sermon to the elders, uh, and he charges them to follow what his example, but also these things that we're going to look at today. We made, a, we made three observations from the text, and that was that the number of elders is it calls for a plurality of elders. We got that from verse 17. We also saw the title for elders uh, can be uh, exchanged with um, overseer or pastor. It's all the same thing. You got that from verses 17 and verse 28. And also in verse 28, we saw that the calling of elders is um, a God thing. It's the Holy Spirit who calls elders, pastors, overseers into the position that God has given them. It's not a career. The structure here that we saw, as I said earlier, there's verses 17 uh, through uh, 28, I mean through 27, which is Paul's example. Then he comes back to his example in verses 33 through 35. And the part we're going to focus on today is verses 28 through 32. Now we saw from Paul's example five different things. That um, an elder should be a man of consistent, visible holiness, a man who humbly serves the Lord, a man who passionately and sacrificially um, serves the Lord, a man who works hard and is a man of happy generosity, and a man who courageously preaches the, God, the Word of God. And so last week we looked at that courageous preaching, and we saw that Paul courageously propagated all of God's truth to all of God's people by all God-ordained means. He did not shrink back from declaring, from teaching, from testifying to and from proclaiming the Word of God. And that Word of God was profitable. It was a message of repentance and faith toward Jesus Christ. It was uh, the message of the gospel, of the grace of God. And its central aim and the aim of all of Scripture was the whole counsel of God. This was Paul's example that he gave the Ephesian elders to follow. So now we turn to Paul's charge for them to keep. But before we do that, uh, we need to look again here at the context where Paul's calling these elders to be vigilant and, and to, to watch out. We need to look at the, at the end of the previous section here and look at what Paul says in verse 26. Okay, So in verse 26, Paul says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, 
For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That phrase, innocent of the blood of all, we didn't really discuss that phrase last week. But these Ephesian elders, if they knew their scripture well, would understand Paul's allusion here that he's alluding to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 33, verse 7 to be specific. And here's what it says. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And so that stern word from Ezekiel From the Lord through Ezekiel is what Paul is alluding to here when he says that he is innocent of the blood of all of them. And with that thought of being a watchman, Ezekiel is referring to a watchman here standing on the wall of a city calling out a warning to the inhabitants of the city. With that image in mind that the Ephesian elders would have when they hear this phrase that Paul says about being innocent of the blood of them all, he tells them to pay attention. He wants them to be watchmen. He wants them to be alert. Matter of fact, in verse 31, he uses that very phrase, be alert. He says, pay attention, be alert. That's the tone of the whole text here, is this call, this charge for elders to be on guard, to pay attention, to not fall asleep at the wheel. So starting in verse 28, I just want to read this section again, this charge that he's calling for the elders to keep. Verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know my departure, I know after my departure, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those, all those who are sanctified. We see a real simple outline from the text here today. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and give you the, the main point for the text, from the text today with all the blanks filled in. And we're just going to walk through that. Here's the, here's the simple outline from this text. Elders are called to shepherd God's people by vigilantly leading them, feeding them, and protecting them. Elders are called to protect God's people by vigilantly leading them, feeding them, and protecting them. Vigilantly, as we've already sa- said, as we've already noticed, they are called to be watchmen, to pay careful attention, to, The Holman Christian Standard says, be on guard. The KJV says, uh, take heed. And the NIV says, keep watch. All of these help capture what Paul is trying to say here. There's urgency in his voice. There's a sense of gravity in his tone. This is no light matter. The oversight of the church is a very serious matter. The elder is thus called to be vigilant. And first, he is to vigilantly lead. And the first way he leads is to pay close attention to himself. Pay careful attention to yourselves. A shepherd cannot lead the sheep if he does not pay close attention to his own walk. If he is in danger, then he cannot lead his sheep from danger. Okay? It reminds me of when you're on an airplane 
If you, all those of you who have traveled on airplanes and the stewardess gets out there and she starts going through that little booklet that nobody reads. Everyone's just reading a magazine or something and they're telling you to pay attention to that little booklet and pay attention to the stewardess. And she says, now in case of a loss of pressure, what? A little mask will fall down. And what does she tell you? She says, put the mask on yourself before putting it on your children or anyone else that needs help. Now, I used to think that was so selfish. Why would you do that? I mean, help your kids out first. You know, put, put it on them and then get it on you. And I think that's probably every parent's first reaction would be to, yes, let's do that. But if the pressure on an airplane is going really fast, you can pass out pretty quick if you don't have the oxygen. And you're not going to be able to help your kids if you're passed out on the floor. And so the whole point of that is they do care about the kids. They do care about those who are helpless on the airplane and need someone to put the oxygen mask on them. That's why the stewardess tells you to put it on yourself first. That's why Paul says here, elders, care for yourselves first. It's not that I want you to be self-centered and, and, and egotistical. I want you to help yourselves first because if you're not helping yourself and you're walking in sin and you're falling and you're making mistakes and you cannot lead the people of God. That's why Paul calls elders to watch themselves first, pay close attention to themselves. Why? Because elders are examples. Okay, we already talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Paul sets himself up as an example, but he thus implies that elders too are to be examples and therefore must watch themselves closely. Just as a way of reminder, a couple of passages we read uh, a couple of weeks ago, Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. It's the job of the elder to imitate, I mean, to, to be a model so that his faith can be imitated. The shepherd must be aware of this. He must understand that he is being imitated. And it's probably, if you are a shepherd, if you're called to be a, an elder, a very heavy, weighty thing to consider that. That you are being watched and that Hebrews 13 says to the flock, imitate the faith of your shepherds. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 3 says, a shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Again, elders are called to be examples. We must be careful, elders, those who are elders, which is only Deemer and I in this congregation, but who knows who God's going to call up from here? Who knows down the road, whether you're here or if God has you at another church, you will be involved in the process of elders being added to a church and different things like that. You will be, some of you will be looking for churches some days. You will be looking at elders, and you want to look for elders who are not just putting on a show. And elders, we must be careful lest our actions be only for show. In other words, our example should be the natural outflow of the effects of the gospel in our lives. Pastors must guard against putting on a show. And it's very tempting just to come up here and put on a show. And some weeks, I feel like that's what I'm doing because I haven't dealt with my own sin properly during the week. Elders will be held accountable for the stewardship of being an example. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. And James 3.1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Every time that I have stood in the pulpit and not been a good example, or not been a good example in my life, or have stood up here and put on a show... I will be judged for those things. Elders, shepherds, pastors, overseers must carefully watch themselves, which means they must watch their lifestyle, their thought life, their passions, their teaching. Every honest pastor knows that in many ways he's a hypocrite. And he, just as much as anybody else in here, is in need of God's grace to defeat sin and overcome his weaknesses. And as those sins are put to death, He gives God the glory and points his flock to the glory of Christ and the power of the gospel to defeat sin. 1 Timothy 4.12 says, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the the believers an an example in speech, in conduct, in in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Elders must take heed to their giftedness, seeking to grow in it. They must take heed to their time, seeking to spend at will. They must take heed to their passions and emotions, seeking not to be governed by them, but... Have them properly aimed at the cross. Above all, they must take heed to their teaching, their doctrine. The pastor must be a constant student of the word. And that study must be bathed in prayer. If one or the other is lacking, the pastor will be lacking. Acts 6, 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. Therefore, elders must be vigilant over themselves because elders can and do fall into error. Elders are just men. We all probably know way too many stories of that happening, of a pastor failing. I've just heard again this week stories of two pastors who have fallen from their position because of sin, hidden sin in their life. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, Let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Now every elder I know of, every pastor loves that text. Right? But it's the one that follows that should cause us to tremble. Verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Elders can be disciplined and should be brought before the church for church discipline when they fall into sin and don't repent of that sin and persist in that sin. So the elder must be a man who vigilantly leads his leads by watching over himself, but he also leads by watching over the flock. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Shepherd sheep language is very common in the Old Testament. You're referring to Israel's relationship to God. Uh, It's not as common in Paul's writings, but it's a metaphor that the Ephesian elders would have understood. John Stott commenting on this this use of the the shepherd sheep um, analogy here. He says, sheep are dirty 
and subject to unpleasant pests such as lice, ticks, and worms. They are unintelligent, wayward, and obstinate. I hesitate to apply, now this is John Stott's words, I hesitate to apply the metaphor too closely and characterize the, God of, the people of God as dirty, dirty, lousy, and stupid, but some people are a great trial to their pastors. But then he put in parentheses, and vice versa. Jesus used the shepherding metaphor and referred to himself in John 10 as the good shepherd. And in John 10, 3, he says this, The shepherd hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The intimacy that Christ has with each one of the sheep is what Paul is calling here for the Ephesian elders to copy when he tells them to pay careful attention to, not the flock, pay careful attention to all the flock. If he had just said pay careful attention to the flock, that would have clearly communicated the message, but he wants to make sure the elders know that every single member, all the flock, the complete flock, is under your care and you are to be vigilant. You are to pay careful attention to them as well, each and every one of them. Just as each individual sheep is precious to our Lord and he knows them, he draws them close into an intimate relationship, so too elders are to care for all the flock and to love all of them. Yes, even the ones who insist on walking off cliffs, even the ones who are constantly in need of attention. Here is another reason in Scripture for a multiplicity of elders. Here's yet another clear reason in Scripture. One man cannot watch an overwhelming amount of sheep. Some men will be more gifted at watching certain numbers of sheep than others. But it's impossible to imagine that one senior pastor can somehow care for the flock the way Paul charges these Ephesian elders here to care for the flock. To care for all the flock. Thus a multiplicity of elders is desperately needed in order to keep watch over the flock. The elders' primary watchkeeping activity involves the spiritual matters of the body, the teaching, the doctrine... And the elders, as we're taught from Acts 6, can delegate out other acts of care for the sheep, such as the meeting of physical needs, temporal needs in the church. Now, what is involved in this paying careful attention? Okay, What's involved in paying careful attention are all the same things regarding which he must keep watch over himself. He, therefore, by his very calling, will be a meddler into the life of the sheep. Let me say that again. By his very calling, he will be a meddler into the life of the sheep. 2 Timothy 4, 2, not only calls, Paul not only calls on Timothy to preach the word, but also to do what? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And many, if not most sheep, don't like that. They don't mind the preaching of the word, because you can sit very quietly in your seats and receive the preaching of the word. It's those other things. It's reproof, it's rebuke, exhortation. They don't like that. Maybe there are some sheep that love it, but I believe that most sheep don't like it. And I also say that most elders who are charged with keeping watch over the souls of the sheep avoid that. Because they know the sheep don't like it. And they avoid it. But elders are charged with keeping watch over your souls. And we have to give an account for that. An elder cannot stand on that judgment day and say, Oh, I just didn't want to offend poor so-and-so. Or, I was afraid they would think I was judging them. 
or I just wanted to keep the peace. Now, as we read earlier in 1 Peter 5, he is to do this eldering, this shepherding, in a way where he's not domineering over those in his charge and thus be an example to the flock. But he is to speak truth into the lives of all the sheep, which includes reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Elders are charged with vigilantly keeping watch over all those to whom God has entrusted them. Elders cannot be cowards. Therefore, they must be ready to serve and guard every last sheep entrusted to them. Which is another reason church membership is important. Elders are called to watch over the sheep that's been entrusted to them. Therefore, being a member of a local body of believers is vitally important. If you're a sheep out there and you're not in one of the, the folds that are, make up the differing uh, local expressions of the greater body of Christ, and you're just out there wandering on your own and walking off cliffs and whatever, don't whine and complain. Don't whine and complain that other believers aren't ministering to you or that there's no one helping you. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. There should be none. Therefore, church membership is vitally important. And with that, I will put a quick promotion out for our membership class, which starts today for four weeks right after the service. If you've got questions about being a member of Harbin's. And we will go into more detail as to why God declares in his word, it's not my opinion, that membership is vital. The idea of vigilance or watchfulness also means being alert. The watchman on the wall could not fall asleep. Elders must be alert to what's going on. They cannot sleep, fall asleep at the wheel. This means the elders must be men of prayer. It's interesting how many times in the New Testament Jesus talks to his disciples about being alert and, ref- and ties that with prayer. Luke 21, 34. But watch yourselves lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And we know that this staying awake or this being watchful and staying awake and praying was more than just a metaphorical uh, image that Jesus was giving the disciples. For shortly after this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he tells them to stay awake and pray. And of course, they failed. And they were physically overcome with sleep. As I thought about this shepherd's staying awake, it reminded me of a story, maybe you've heard it, of a guy named Cliff Young. Cliff Young, in 1983, and well, I'll just read it to you so I don't mess up any of it. Okay? In 1983, Australia host, hosted an ultramarathon. I didn't even know such a thing existed. But here's what an ultramarathon is. It's a 573.7 mile foot race from Sydney to Melbourne. That's the ultra marathon, okay? And I'm just trying to work up to a 5K, all right? And this, wow. Okay, ultra marathon, 573 miles. It's a race that takes days to run, and professionals from all over the world come to participate in it. Okay, shortly before the race began in 1983, a 61-year-old farmer named Cliff Young, wearing overalls and rain boots, walked up to the registration table and requested a number to enter the race. The people at the registration table thought he was a joke, and somebody was setting them up. So they all laughed. But Cliff Young said, no, I'd really like to run. So they gave him a number, and they pinned it on his old overalls. 
Cliff Young walked over to the start of the race, and all the other professional runners who were decked out in their running uh, clothes looked at him like he was absolutely insane. The crowd snickered. They even laughed. They laughed even more when the gun went off and the race began because all those professional runners had these beautifully sculpted bodies and these beautiful strides, but not Cliff Young. He didn't even run like a runner. Cliff Young began this awkward, goofy-looking shuffle. So he just began to shuffle, this really goofy-looking shuffle. Okay, all the crowd were laughing, and finally someone called, called out, Get that old fool off the track. Five days, 14 hours, and four minutes later, at 1.25 in the morning, Cliff Young shuffled across the finish line of the 573.7-mile ultramarathon as the winner of the race. And he didn't win by a matter of minutes or even an hour or two. The second-place runner was nine hours and 56 minutes behind him. Cliff Young had set a new world record for that ultramarathon. The press mobbed him and wondered what kind of special running shoes he must have been using. And they rummaged through his backpack wondering if what he had survived on, because they were allowed to take food with him. And he had uh, lived primarily on pumpkin seeds and water. And then they discovered the secret to his success. Cliff Young had shuffled his way to victory without ever sleeping. He never went to sleep for the whole race. Okay? The other runners ran for 18 hours straight and then would stop and sleep for three or four hours. But he endured five days, 14 hours, and four minutes with no sleep at the age of 61. You know what his profession was? He was a shepherd. He was used to going long periods of time without any sleep. Now, I did a little bit more research on that story because I found it and I thought, is that real? So I went on... Wikipedia, of course, everything's true on Wikipedia, right? So I went on Wikipedia and found the story. Sure enough, it's true. Matter of fact, if ultra-marathon runners and even marathon runners today, you'll notice they actually shuffle. A lot of them shuffle now because scientists have shown that actually Cliff Young was able to burn a whole lot less energy than the average runner who was running with these strides. You just sit there and shuffle. So he actually discovered something that runners are now using 20 years later, okay, 30 years later. My goodness, was 1983 that long ago? All right. So shepherds like Cliff Young should be awake spiritually. They should know what's going on in the church. They should know what's going on in the culture. They should know what's going on in the community. They should know what's going on in their own homes. Shepherds have to give an account. They must be awake. But you know what? Just like Jesus' metaphor crossed over into the physical realm, shepherds also must be people who don't love their sleep that much. And what I mean by that, there are times and seasons where God calls you to be on your knees, and if sleep is more important to you than prayer, you cannot shepherd the people of God. So he vigilantly leads. He pays careful attention to himself and the flock. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has made him an overseer. As I've already mentioned, and we've already talked about for the last two weeks, this task is God-given. Therefore, it carries tremendous gravity. It's not a career. It's a calling. If the elder views or treats his role as a career, he will inevitably focus on himself and fail. But if he views this as a tremendously humbling, Holy Spirit-given, Holy Spirit-enabling stewardship, he will focus on the sheep and he will feed them, which is our next point. Elders are called to shepherd God's people by vigilantly leading them. And next is feeding them. It says in verse 28, to care for the church of God. To care for, that's to shepherd. The word involves the overall care of the the sheep. But in the Greek, 
the term especially refers to the feeding of the sheep. The phrase reminds me of what was doesn't remind me. It's exactly the word Jesus used in John 21. When, when Jesus is restoring Peter. Okay, and they're on the, on the, the shore there. And, and Jesus keeps asking Peter, do you love me? And he tells him, feed my lambs. And the second time he uses this word. Care for my sheep or to feed them. So it refers to overall care, but primarily the feeding of the sheep. What do you feed them? You feed them the word of God, the gospel of the grace of God, the whole counsel of God. It's exactly what we looked at last week. Last week we looked at the food. We spent the whole sermon looking at the food that was supposed to be fed to the sheep. And why feed them? Because they've been bought by God. They've been bought by God, for God, with an infinitely valuable price, the blood of God. Elders are to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That's why. Now, that should weigh so heavily on a pastor's heart that he cannot even think about diverting from this. There are some, there's some bad food out there. The true gospel is Jesus plus nothing. There's some bad food out there. When um, our dog wasn't healthy a while back, her hips were hurting her, a lot of different things, and the vet told us to get off of this really bad food that we were buying, which was the cheapest food we could find at Kroger or Walmart or wherever. He said, you got to get off that stuff. And he gave us the name of the food he wanted us to buy because he said it's pure it's good it's actually meat in there well what's in the other food i wondered so i went to wikipedia again you'd be amazed at what is in just regular old dog food i mean it's the stuff that they don't want to give humans and they give humans a lot have you eaten a hot dog okay the stuff that can't go in the hot dog goes in the dog food and worse there was even a plant in texas that uh, they were investigated because they were using roadkill in dog food. Now, they claimed that they were cooking it at such extreme temperatures that they were getting rid of all the bad stuff in it. But it was their easy way to go get some food for the animals. And so my dog was not doing well. And as soon as we changed food, it was almost instantaneously. Her, her hair changed, her, her coat looked better, her hips stopped hurting, and she, she just was a different dog. There's a lot of bad food out there. There's a lot of people that are putting additives into the gospel. They're putting extra stuff on top of it. And it comes in all sorts of different ways. The ultra-legalistic church is adding works. The ultra-licentious church is adding self-help fluff. And all over this country, there is stuff being added to the gospel. And the elder's job is to give the pure meat, the pure bread, the pure milk, right here from the Word of God. A good shepherd feeds his sheep the word, 1 Peter 1, 23, says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, that's, the focus here is the word of God. For all flesh is like grass, 
and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news, the gospel that was preached to you. So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. What's the, what's the food you need? It's the gospel. You need it over, and you need it over, and you need it over, and you need it over and over again. That's what you need. The word of God, the gospel message of this book is your food. We are saved through the gospel message, and we grow in the gospel message as well. I think too many of us, too many of us view the gospel as a magic pill you take to get saved. And then God's got a lot of other stuff he's going to tell you. Like on The Matrix, it's that pill you take. And everything changes, right? So the young guys up here were thinking that. They're, yeah, right, that's what I was thinking. Like it's The Matrix. You just take this, boom. But that's not it. The Bible refers to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and all the implications, everything else, all those, all those things that, 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 that the Scripture talked about in Ephesians as we got to the application portion, all that still flows out of the gospel. But the gospel message is also the food that keeps us going. It's not just a magic pill. It's a constant flow of nutrition for our souls. Colossians 1, 5, beginning in the middle of that verse, it says, Of this you have, been, you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. I think we like to think of it that way. It's the gospel is bearing fruit in the whole world. It's an evangelistic thing, right? Gospel bearing fruit, evangelism. But then Paul goes on to say this. Okay. Is indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. And he's referring to each individual believer. This gospel is still increasing and growing and bringing fruit out of your life. It's not just something that we use for evangelism. It's the food that we keep on eating throughout the rest of our Christian walk. And by it we are sanctified. Now back to our text. I already mentioned here. It says that elders are called to care for the church of God. Of God. Just like elders don't work for the church, they work for God. So too, the church doesn't belong to the elders, the church is of God. The church does not belong to denominations, it doesn't belong to you, it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. Why? Because he bought it. The price was terrible, yet terrific, gruesome, yet glorious. He obtained it with his blood. Obtained means purchased or acquired or preserved. God has purchased and preserved a people for himself. 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The elder must vigilantly lead and feed because this flock is precious and it was purchased and is preserved by a precious blood. Notice again this amazing statement. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Now God is spirit. And spirit is therefore immaterial and cannot have blood. 
Yet the blood here is called God's, which clearly points us back to the shed blood of Christ. Meaning, yet again, this is another powerful statement for the deity of Christ in Scripture. If your Jehovah's Witnesses aren't convinced by your arguments in John 1.1, 1, 1, take them here. Yes, Jesus the God-man shed his blood. And thus, yes, that God's blood was spilt for the church. That statement, God spilling blood, is blasphemy to the Jew and to the um, Islamic person today. That's blasphemy to say that God can bleed and that God spilt his blood. Paul knew what he was doing when he said this. He knew there were still Judaizers in the church. He knew there were Jewish friends of his that would be offended by this phrase. And he said it anyway. He made it clear. That's what makes the Christian message Christian. That's what makes it unique. God became man, shed blood, and died so that his people might have life. And only by the shedding of blood can sins be forgiven. And only by the shedding of perfect blood, infinitely valuable blood, yet it had to be human blood. And only that blood could purchase a people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation for God. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's the only hope for the universe. Only Christians proclaim the gospel of truth that God made a way through the glorious death of his son. All other religions in the world teach that we must make our own way to God somehow. And that's why the gospel is still our food, because we are sinners, and we are tempted every day to add something to it. Yes, I understand Jesus purchased us with his blood, but surely I've got to do this, this, and this. And we stand and we say, no. If you do this, this, and this, it'll flow out of the the fact that you're putting all your hope in Christ alone and his shed blood on the cross. That's where all your hope resides. And then naturally, this, this, and this will follow if it's God-glorifying. This statement regarding the value of the sheep, okay, this statement should make shepherds tremble and should make shepherds understand that their role is extremely weighty. If I came up to one of these young guys right here and said, guys, I need you to car sit my car for a week. And I gave him the keys to my 2000 Chrysler Concord out there, I really wouldn't be that worried about it, okay? It's already got issues. It's a Chrysler. So, give them the keys. Go for it. But if I owned a 2011, 2012 Ferrari, and I gave them the keys, do you think the weight on Anthony as he receives those keys would be much greater than if he was holding my Chrysler Concord keys? Tell me yes. All right? (laughs) Yes. Because he understands the difference in the value The value of that Ferrari greatly outweighs the value of the Concorde. And I believe a lot of the weak preaching that's happening in our churches today is a result of the fact that many pastors have fallen asleep and stopped watching because they have either forgotten the value of the sheep or they never grasped it in the first place. They've either forgotten the value of the sheep You are too valuable for me to get up here in a clown suit and juggle. You may like it, but you are too valuable for me to do that. So we preach the word. Deemer preaches the word. 
you're too valuable to go down to Deemer's class down there and for him just to, to play, a, let's just have a game of Scrabble or something. We'll do Bible Scrabble. You don't have time for that. We don't have time for that. You're too valuable. Listen to Paul's words about caring for the church. He felt the weight. 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2. He says, For I have a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Galatians four nineteen, My little children, for whom I am in, again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Colossians 1, 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am being filled up with what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to all his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he may powerfully work within me. Paul felt this gravity. And he wanted to see Christ formed in the body. He wanted to see Christ formed in the sheep. He didn't just herd sheep because it was a blast. He herded sheep because they belonged to God, they had been bought, and he wanted to see Christ formed in them. And that's what drove his joy. And that's what drove his satisfaction. John Stott said, The only way the pastor can endure caring for those dirty, unintelligent, wayward, and obstinate sheep is to remember how valuable they are in God's sight. If elders, by God's grace, will keep in mind the stunning price paid and thus the stunning value of the sheep, then the relatively tiny cost of the trials and struggles that we endure for the sheep will become a joy to endure. Who am I to complain about the trials and difficulties that come along sometimes with being a pastor in the church? Or the difficulties that come on my family as a result of being a pastor in the church? Who am I to complain about those things that don't compare to the price that God paid for his sheep? So the elder must shepherd the flock of God, vigilantly leading them, feeding them, and finally protecting them. Let me read the last couple of verses here, and this is where we're going to stop today, and next week's message is going to be on this last section. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. I want to devote the entire message next Sunday to these words right here. Not because of a time crunch. I was actually going to go ahead and squeeze it in uh, until yesterday. And the greatest threat, obviously, to sheep in ancient Near East was that of wolves. And Paul here is obviously speaking of false teachers and false teaching. They come in disguised. By their very nature, it's hard to detect that's why elders are called to be alert. If they were easy to detect, you wouldn't have to be alert. And consequently, elders must be in the Word and must be praying because of the issue of detecting wolves. And it's a very delicate, difficult, 
task that requires a lot of wisdom. It requires pastoral care, it requires boldness, and it requires discernment. And this is an extremely relevant topic for the church today and for our church. I really felt the Spirit leading me to break off the sermon here and at this point give the whole next week to this teaching. In my heart, I really feel that next week's message may be one of the most important messages I've ever preached at Harbin's, by far. Because this issue of wolves in the church, it's a very current issue in the church. There's lots of stuff. If you, if you keep up with some of the blogs and the different uh, blogosphere out there, especially reform blogs, you know what's going on in some different arenas. If you know anything about the elephant room, you know what's going on. And this requires a lot of discernment to deal with the issue of wolves in the church. Who are the wolves? Okay, they're hard to detect. They're dressed like sheep. Okay? And there's some sheep that like to put on pointy ears and act like wolves. You don't want to shoot them. You want to see Christ formed in them. So it requires tremendous pastoral care. And I'll mention this next week. The task of, her, of finding wolves is given to elders in the church. Not bloggers. Elders. Now, can elders blog about these things? I don't have any problem with that. So, there's a variety of different backgrounds in this church. And there are some here who have come out of bad teaching. And so, I feel, based upon our congregation, and the different backgrounds, the different experiences people had in this church, that next week's message, and also based upon the current cultural climate within evangelical circles, next week's message will be one of the most important messages I've ever preached. And I believe that with all my heart. It weighed heavy on me all last night. So the elder must watch out vigilantly, leading and feeding the sheep. And he must protect them. This is his job. He must not be like the uh, negligent, I'll bring it back to my slide there, the negligent captain of the Costa Concordia. Doesn't this picture kind of help us? There's the cross in the foreground. I can't help but wondering, how's the elders, how are the elders of that church doing? Is that church still faithful? It's in Europe, which means the odds are stacked against it. Can't help but wondering. Elders can't be like the captain of the Costa Concordia. He must do his job for the glory of God, by the grace of God, through the faithful proclamation and teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where it's at. He must keep preaching and teaching the gospel message. He'll never outgrow it. It is by it that shepherds, overseers, leaders, I mean elders, lead and feed and it's by it that sheep grow in maturity, and it's by it that wolves will be detected in the church. Christ alone, Jesus plus nothing. You should bow your heads and close your eyes as we get ready to sing in Christ alone one more time. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer this morning is that you would just have your way in this time of response, whether it be the bringing of offerings or prayer requests or Lord, if the message this morning has, um, has touched a heart in such a way that you, you want a response, you want us to respond in some sort of specific way, Lord, that you'd move on our hearts, whether it be getting on our knees and praying right here, whether it be praying for the elders of this church, whatever it might be, Lord, I pray that you'd move in this body right now during this time of response. It's for all of us. And if there be anybody here, Lord, I plead, if there be anybody here who, who doesn't understand or hasn't, has questions about that purchase, that 
Through the blood of Christ, the people of God were purchased on the cross at Calvary. That you made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God, that there was some glorious, mysterious, cosmic transfer that happened at the cross. And Lord, if there's anybody here that's never, ever come to the foot of the cross and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus and repented of their sin and believed in Christ alone, Lord, I pray that this morning would be the time that they'd come and talk to me, talk to Deemer, talk to any one of the men in this church, or, or maybe if they just need to talk to one of the ladies of this church, that they'd come and talk to someone during this response time or afterwards about what that means and how they can call upon the name of the Lord. So we pray now for you to move in this service, move in the remainder of the time we have. Lord, as we sing these words in Christ alone, may we really mean it in Christ alone. It's our only food. Don't let us add additives to the message of the gospel, Lord. We ask that. We ask for your grace to do that in us. Because if we're left on our own, we'll add a thousand things to it. We pray for you to move in this church, move in our hearts, however you see fit. We ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior who bought the church with his blood, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand if you would as we sing this song. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground 